Welcome everyone to the award-winning podcast, Virgo and the Freak. I'm your award-winning host, the glorious league freak, and I'm joined by award-winning guest, Elliot Richardson from OneEyedEel.com. Thanks for joining me, Elliot. No worries, mate. I'm not sure what award I've won. I probably won, you know, best and fairest at some point in my very amateur sporting career. So I'll take it. No, no we, we collectively, as a podcast. Oh, collectively, right. Collectively, okay. yeah. And Every guest the... that comes on. Yeah, they get to claim some of it. That's fine. All right, I'll yeah. claim it then. I'll take a yeah, winning we, podcaster. We won the best logo. Best logo. Yeah. It's the coveted one. It's the one you want to win. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there's been a lot going on with the Parramatta Eels over the last probably couple of months since they, they lost the semifinal to Penrith. And they maybe had a week and a half out of the spotlight, but the last couple of weeks they have really been under the pump from the media and probably some of their fans, it's fair to say. Um, and I think it all comes down to two questions. Number one, do you feel as though the Parramatta Eels are on the right course and they should, and, and they're close enough to a premiership win that they just need to make a couple of tweaks or almost stay the course? And the second question is related to that, which is number two, are they doing the right thing over this off-season in terms of their recruitment and the players that they have managed to re-sign and the players that are going to leave the club in 2023 for the most part? Um, And they're two very simple questions with very complicated answers. How do you feel overall as a Parramatta Eels fan about where the club stands right now? And do do you think that they're on the right path? So to answer your first question about uh, if I think they're they're close to a premiership, um, that's hard to answer because um, I don't like to get my hopes up too much because um, if you're a Parramatta fan, that's happened too many times. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the most consistent they've been since the Brian Smith era, uh, which got pretty bloody close to a premiership. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking uh, earlier in this season that the the Eels are the only club since the start of 2019 to not spend a single week out of the top eight. So that's including oh, yeah. Melbourne and the Roosters. They didn't manage that. So when I looked at it, the, the Eels are then alongside the Roosters and Melbourne if you were to remove the first three rounds of the competition where, you know, you have a couple of teams that are out of the eight on differential or something or you like Melbourne, they lose the first two games, but they go on and win 19 consecutive after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, that's that's very, very pleasing to see that they're one of the most consistent teams in the competition. And that then builds into, you know, looking towards a premiership. Uh, the, the squad they've got, I don't think that there's anything glaringly poor about it. You know, previously... You know, we've been able to to go. Oh, you know, our, our bench rotation isn't good, or there's, there's some weak there's some weakness there in the forwards. I think the major thing for the team is their their mental resilience and mental toughness, and that obviously got impacted during the season. They had a couple of big blowout losses, which um, you know didn't completely derail the season, but I think it probably knocked their confidence down a bit. And, and the other thing I would say that I see the I mean the club did address. Some of that, they didn't fall in a heap during the finals like they mm-hmm. did the previous two seasons where they ran into Melbourne and just got just got taught about final fo- finals football. That didn't happen this time. They they took it to Newcastle and were pe- prepared to play to the 80th minute 
and they took it to Penrith and they played to the 80th minute. And that's that that's mental. That's not that's not your uh, your physical capability there. That's just you know Penrith. They beat the grand final the previous season. They'd had some guys that were fairly fresh, and, and Parramatta tried to get. I know what we discussed in the lead up to that match, which coach had done the right thing. You know, Brad resting a good chunk of his team against Penrith in the final round, and um, Ivan Cleary playing um, his his side, and. Um, you know, there was some discussion about whether or not he should have played Brian To'o in that game, given uh, his problems then against uh, South with his ankle. Mm-hmm. But I think both coaches kind of, they knew their team. They knew what was going to work for them. Uh, I, I, I liked it from Brad, and I know I said that because it showed that he'd learnt from previous seasons. Uh, and the other thing I think the Eels have addressed, and this was starting, this kind of came up towards the end of the season then after the finals, was stagnation with Brad's uh, supporting coaches, assistant coaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they've, they've brought in uh, Paul McGregor, Michael Ennis, and uh, who's the Simon Wolford is, is the other one. So as far as I'm aware, they haven't released any, any coaches. So they've still got, well, apart from Andrew Johns, who's gone back to Newcastle, but he was only there as a, a consultant anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, that's some additional um, brain power there. And whilst Paul McGregor has kind of been memed a bit as being a pretty poor head coach and he struggled a bit with St. George, particularly towards the end of his, his term there. He's known as quite a good assistant coach. He's been a New South Wales assistant coach. Uh, he's been around a bit. He's played at the, he's played pretty high level and he played origin. Uh, I think for, for Paul McGregor, it, it might just be a case of he's one of those guys who's a really good assistant coach. He might not be quite cracked out for the, the top job, but I saw that as a really positive thing. And Simon Wolford's uh, had some head coaching experience in England. Uh, I think in the lower tiers there. So he hasn't coached at Super League level, but, you know, he's he's had to fight it out in, in League One, I think, is their second tier. And mm-hmm. that's that's hard. You know, you are not you don't have a lot of money to spend. Uh, you're dealing with guys who are semi-professional and you've got to get the best out of them whilst also balancing their real lives, which is a, a big challenge for a coach to have him come in with his experience, not just as an NRL player, but as a head coach is big. And Michael Ennis, you know, he's been a, a consultant, I think, for for the Raiders and I think he's at Cronulla too when he finished up his career and I've got a fairly highly you know he's fairly well high, highly regarded um and I just think that's that's something we needed if you weren't gonna you, there wasn't gonna be a massive turnover of your top 13 or top 17 players for next year um the change was gonna have to come in the in the back office uh so I think they've done that um I think they're in the best position they're going to be in for a while in terms of next season. You know, you've got Moses who's got origin experience. Now uh, you've got uh, a forward pack that is among the best in the competition in terms of uh, their ability to get up the field. Uh, I feel like there needs to be a bit of polished there at, at the end of their sets. But again, that's something you could probably address in an off season. I think a lot has been made about Dylan Brown. I think a lot of people forget that he's had a very disrupted start to his career. Uh, he's, I think he played three games in his debut season. Then he had the, the, the stress fractures to his back. Uh, then um, in 2020, he, he had a syndesmosis injury, uh, which put him out for, I think, another month. And last season, he had the suspension for, for three weeks. And then tossed into there, you had Mitchell Moses with his broken back. You've had Reed Marnie with his shoulder. Um, so I think in total, our, our four spine players have only played something like 40 games together. Um and that being said, too, we also tried to unlock Dylan a bit earlier in the season by shifting the side he was on, and it didn't seem to fit. 
and mm. it actually seemed like he was much more comfortable once they swapped him back around to the other side of the field. And and, and I always feel with Dylan Brown, he feels like the player if he can if he can come into a final series playing good football, he's the one that's going to be the difference. Because yeah. you know, with uh, Mitch Moses, we kind of know what he can do to a certain extent, but you also know that. If he's not setting the world on fire, he's just okay. Whereas Dylan Brown's got the ability to to take over from him, take over some of those playmaking responsibilities. And uh, I guess it's almost like, um, you know, when you've got Mitchell Pearce in the so- in a side, you kind of want a playmaker next to him that can do certain things and and take the team to the next level. And I feel as though Dylan Brown's that player for the Eels. Yeah, he took uh, some more responsibility on towards the end of the year. Uh, There's a lot of pressure on Mitch from uh, defenders getting to him because his kicking game went to the next level. I think he's at that level now. Um, you hear Peter Sterling talk about a good half. His bad game's a 7 out of 10. Well, that's Mitch Moses now. His bad game is a 7 out of 10. Um, but but Dylan really got involved in the kicking game towards the end of the year, and he doesn't have to kick five, 600 metres like like Mitch does, he might only have to kick a hundred, but if that's three or four kicks that Mitch doesn't have to make from mm. distance and they're good kicks, he's taken that load off. Um, he's also got that ability to, to, to break a game open. We haven't seen a lot of it, but there, there were instances, there was one against the roosters there where he killed the game off and he just, you know, drifted to the right hand side. I think it was a left foot or right foot step, a palm, and he's just too quick for, for James Tedesco. Mm. Uh, I think a lot of people, we haven't seen a lot of, of Dylan breaking the line and breaking tackles, but he always seems to, to make headway uh, when he goes into contact. And he's also a type of player. He's, he, he seems very instinctual, uh, but in saying that he's not a pure, like he's not like an Anthony Milford type player yeah. where, where he kind of thrives on the unstructured nature of, of football. He's very much, he can fit into your system and then break out of it. Um, so obviously I want to see a, a lot more from him next season. The interesting thing that's been discussed on one eyed and, and a few other Eels fan sites is what would it look like if he moved to fullback and, and Gutherson into the 5'8 role? Because mm-hmm. Gutherson's played 5'8 before. He's not the fastest player around, um, but he's, his passing game has really improved and he's got a kicking game. And the way the game's being played now, you kind of need your fullback to be able to, to get defenders to hold off, you know, committing to the half. And um, I, I think that the way that we currently play is – People know Gutherson isn't going to beat you with his speed. He's strong, but he's not really going to, you know, he doesn't have a great step, so he can't really use his strength to stand you up because he can't get his body to the outside shoulder faster than the defender can adjust. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Dylan, I see Dylan Brown can. He's obviously got the fitness and the, uh, the defensive capability um, out the back to, to do what Gutherson does. In saying that, I don't think the Eels are going to do that because Dylan's been an out-and-out half his entire career since since I've been watching him. Uh, play in the under-20s for us. He's always been playing at halfback or 5'8", so I can't really see him moving um, into the into the fullback role, and particularly when we've got Hayes Perham uh, playing reserve grade for us, who, as he showed against Penrith, he's got some good footwork about him. He's got some good speed. He's got some good skill. Um, so he could be a player that we keep a, a big eye on over the next uh, year or two to see how he develops because he's just one of those players who I reckon – if you get him fit and you get a, a good run of games out of him, he can be quite a quite a, a, a damaging player to, to bring into a squad. Um, are, you, are you comfortable with – because the Eels are all in on Gutherson. 
Like they've they've just re-signed him to a it's going to be a sizable deal because he is the club captain and you know there was a lot of noise about him going elsewhere. Um, so do, the other thing that are, really like, are you comfortable me. with the, the Eels being all in on him? Because I look at him as a fullback, and as you say, he's not going to beat you with his pace or his footwork or his strength. And he does bring in a kicking game. He brings in a bit of a passing game from fullback. And that's good when you're attacking the line. But I I, I don't know. I just think he's not I, – I, I don't think most teams are worried about him for the most part. And I've said that I think the Eels would be a really scary team if they had an attacking fullback like a Dane Laurie that's at the West Tigers. Um. But are you comfortable with it, him being the club being like all in and and paying him and presenting him like he is one of your star players? Um, well, I mean, he is one of our star players. Uh, I'm not sure how all in the club is, to be honest with you. Um, mm-hmm. He was angling for a longer deal and, and we didn't offer it. Uh, he was angling for uh, a three-year extension. Uh, on top of his current deal, and we, we gave him a two-year extension, which I think equates out to a, a three-year contract in total, mm-hmm. um, whereas he was looking for four years. Uh, and I don't think he got the money he was looking for either because no one else was prepared to pay it. Um, so I think the club has, has pegged him at a certain level and they're not going to go above it. Uh, mm-hmm. I also think that the club reckons they've got a, a couple of good young guys coming through. I think we've had we've got five players in the Emerging Blues squad this season. Um, so that's at that under-18s level. So I can imagine you're going to see those guys come through. I'm not going to say that, oh, the recruitment and retention team's got this five-year plan or something because who knows what they're looking at down the line. Um, but oh, I reckon this could be Gutherson's final contract with Parramatta. Just, mm-hmm. Hang on a sec, my, my chair's just dropped. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> we haven't had that happen on the podcast yet. <laughs> yeah, my chair's dropped and it dropped me below the mic. Um yeah, I, I think this might actually be his last contract with the club mm-hmm. um, because you, you think about it, this contract takes him past his 30s. You don't see too many fullbacks at the elite level past their 30s uh, who stay at fullback and stay at the money that, that he's getting paid. And I also think, you know, that the club will be looking probably to try and find that, that diamond in the rough or, you know, have a junior come through and play fullback. Or, or it could be Hayes Parham, who's I think only 22. So in a, a few years, three years' time, um, mid-20s, uh, if he's still at the club, then he might be the option there. Um, I was more wanting us to, to bet everything on Reid. Um, that's yeah. that's the, the one that's really hurt and I think hurt a lot of fans is that, you know, first of all, he's gone for the money. So I know, I know footy is a business, but um, it, from what I understand, we weren't that far away from matching from matching the deal that the Bulldogs tabled. Um, not only that, you know, the Bulldogs didn't want him five years ago. So they, mm-hmm. they released him, said, get out of here, you're not going to make the NRL. Um, and then we're the one who threw him the lifeline and turned him into basically an origin player. If he doesn't get injured this year, he's playing for Queensland. Um, the other thing is, I, I wasn't too I wasn't too upset when we released Murata and, and Ice Papali'i. Murata's like, he's the guy you don't overpay. He yeah, is, I agree. Oh, when when I heard of, he was one of those ones. I was like, whatever. A lot of people going, oh, we should have kept him, and I kind of went, no. <laughs> mm. You're not you're not paying five hundred thousand dollars a year 
for a player whose main job is to run the ball hard and tackle hard. Mm-hmm. That, that, let's be honest, that's mostly his job. He played in the centers when we needed him, but he's a, a run, run the ball hard type of guy. Um, he plays on an edge, you can play in the middle, but you're not breaking the bank for him. Uh, and the pup, the Papali'i one, well, I don't think he's worth what the Tigers have, are paying him for. If but it's I, around, I saw, you, I saw you say something interesting on on Twitter in that hmm. he's had one good year yep. in, in his whole career, and he's only young, given yep. that. And it was a, a contract year, and I I completely understand that thinking, and it's a risk, and it's a risk some clubs have to to take. They've got to roll a dice and. You know, and the West Tigers, they've got to grab out any talent they can get at the moment. Um, and that risk isn't the same level for the Parramatta Eels. No. So Parramatta, from what I understand, still tabled him a pretty competitive offer. Like it wasn't, we just said, oh, he's 400 grand and and you can take it. It was it was quite a bit more than that. Mm-hmm. But also with, with, with Ice, yeah, he's young. He's had one good season, though. He was he was pretty average at the Warriors. Mm-hmm. Um it, yeah, the, the Tigers are taking a punt on him. And if it's for what, that's been rumoured, right? He, he's getting paid more than what Crichton's getting paid, Payne Haas and Victor Adley. Mm. You know, they've been... Payne Haas is on like 600 grand and apparently Ice is getting paid more than that for this new contract. Now, Haas probably get an upgrade in the next year or two, which will take him above it. But still, Payne Haas has had raps on him since he was like 18, 19. Yeah. Um, he's basically played Origin since he came into first grade. And and the Broncos didn't sign him for more than what ICE assigned for the Tigers. So I was prepared to retain ICE for the right price. And obviously the Tigers have offered more. Okay. That's the nature of football. And um, one of the things I wrote on one eye is that we'll talk about, you know, losing properly in, well, you've got to keep those type of players. Well, you don't really. Um, you look at Melbourne and across their, the past, you know, 20 years, they've released Jeremy Smith, Adam Blair, Ryan Hoffman, um, obviously now Felice Cafusi, uh, and there's one, uh, there's one or two more high quality back rollers that they've released. And we're in an era of like, there's so many good forwards. Like even if you look at Penrith, Penrith must have had a squad and a half of NRL quality forwards. Just, you know, there's so many good back rolls around. And I I think with a lot of them, it's almost as much about the situation you put them in and the role you give them as yeah. – because there, there's so many talented ones out there. Yeah. There's, I think you guys have released – what, Leilani Latu. You've released Spencer Lenu? Is he gone? Uh, I think he might have. Yeah. I think uh, so. Obviously, Kurt Capewell, Viliami Kikau, and, and James Tamo. There's five decent forwards there. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it's just the classic Wayne Bennett thing is you don't have a pay for your forwards, and he, he's right there, except I'd make an a, a exception for Junior Paulo. Um, yeah, there's, there's a difference. difference. It was he's like I, he he had a – he said that, and it was like – but the exception was Glenn Lazarus. He overpaid to get him to the Broncos, and for the right reason, you know. There's some of them that are just blue chippers that yeah. – you you just get that's like I don't care if he's a forward I don't care what he costs you know yeah yeah the 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 thing with Junior Paulo is there is no prop forward like him in the game right you're not seeing yeah. any other prop forward pop up in the five eight spot and throw a cutout pass mm-hmm. at 120 kilos or yeah, but his he's also and he's also got the ability to 
play the grind game as well. Exactly. Which you know, is pop really, the offload. Yeah. Ten meters of carry, mm-hmm. physical in defense. You know, he's he's the complete and utter package for the modern game and, and be fit enough to play sixty minutes in this Volandis ball era when mm-hmm. the ball doesn't stop. Um yeah, I, I'm more than happy to to pay decently for him. Um but obviously, you know, the, the Reed Marnie loss is the big one. Um it's 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 annoyed me the most because I saw him as a ten year hooker. Like he's the guy you build a side around. Mm-hmm. Um, he should have been the priority and not Gutherson, right? If if Ayub wants to mess around in the media and go, oh, I got this offer for Gutho and this offer for Gutho, you go, okay, all right. Is he going to sign it? <laughs> you know, yeah. If he wants to sign it, and it's more money than we're offering, you know, he can do that. But we're going to keep Reed. Um, the other thing is is the comments by by Brad Arthur saying we're a development club. I mean, that's great. But if you then develop a player and then lose him, what's the point of developing him? You know, mm-hmm. you develop players so that you pay under market rate for them when they, you know, mature into to first graders um, and you try to avoid getting into that bidding war for them because you've got all that um, that kind of goodwill stored up in them and also because they've been through your system. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, the Bulldogs have offered him obviously a massive deal but I was still of the opinion that you kind of throw out your rate, your wage structure. And, and apparently we only wanted three years and Reed wanted four. I'm like, hell, pay him the four years. Damn it. <laughs> he's not like yeah. 30 and asking for four years. He's he's 23 or something asking for four years. You're going to get him when he's in his prime physically. Um, in terms of the deal for Reed, is it good for him money-wise? It's probably set him up for life. Um, can't argue there is it good for his career probably not let's be honest mm-hmm. um the bulldogs are the reigning wooden spooners and they've been pretty average the past three or four seasons um they've gone and paid for a lot of players but there's not a lot of substance there like you look at it they've gone and spent huge money on chotrich they're trying to get rid of him now huge money on luke thompson decent money on on josh adokar they've gone and got naden they got burton um they have and Dufty. They haven't bought anyone else uh, in the spine, you know. So they're gonna. They bought Kyle Flanagan and then turfed him. Um, they've sacked Lockton Lewis. They don't have a hooker yet, so obviously that's why they've gone and got Reed. But he's gonna come into a side that is going to be, I imagine, very much all over the place come 2023. Um, they're going to be. They're still looking for players, and apparently they don't have a lot of money to do it. Obviously, which is why they're trying to offload some players. But, you know, if they're towards the bottom of the table next year and and, and hopefully Parramatta is, is in a preliminary final or a grand final next year, I'd imagine Reed might be – he's not going to be able to get out of it, but he might be thinking, oh, I don't know if I made the right decision here. You know, you're going you're gonna to go from, you know, the penthouse and, and playing finals football pretty much guaranteed to, to be scraping to get into the finals for, for a year or two. He could, be, he could spend half his contract at the Bulldogs – trying to make the finals again. Um, yeah, I, I guess Matt Burton had the same issue, but, like, at, at some point, money talks. Yeah. And, and I, I guess... Think, I, I think Burton, know. he knew he was behind who he was behind. Right, He wants to play in the halves. He's yeah. behind the New South Wales and, and 5-8 halves. Um, he's, he's behind two premiership winners, and, okay, he won it in the centres, but he obviously wants to play in the halves, and I couldn't begrudge him if I was a Panthers fan going to play in the halves for decent money at the Bulldogs, you know what I mean? He's won the, he's won a comp now, right? Yeah. yeah. He's not going, I'm never going to get that again. He's done it. He's won the competition. 
And I'm not saying he's going to take his foot off the gas when he gets to the dogs, but in saying that, um, he's probably in a bit of a better position. But also knowing that, hey, I'm a 100% NRL half when I go to this club and I'm not fighting for my position like I am at, at Penrith. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's that's where I think the difference is there. At, at Penrith, he was a backup. At the Bulldogs, he's going to be probably leading the team around. Um, and also they've gone and got Kikau, who I, I honestly think could turn into Tony Williams 2.0. Um, big money yeah. for, for half a dozen games a year, really. I don't know if you and me talked about it on the podcast, that the last one we did. But, and I've said it ad nauseum on the podcast. Like I, I was talking all year about could it be addition by subtraction at the Panthers with Kikau mm. if they moved him or let him go or, you know, something along those lines. So when he signed with the Bulldogs, I, you know, you don't like seeing a player leave a premiership winning team. But no. I wasn't heartbroken. I wasn't thinking, oh, that's it for us because he kind of um, – he he it, it look, at his best – he can win you a game, but that's how many times a year did all this year even did we see him at his best? I think he'll be a good buy for the Bulldogs, no doubt. But sometimes I think that you've got to look at the situation for a player. And um, Penrith's forward pack is a very – they're a very grindy sort of forward pack. He ended up on the bench in the finals. Yeah, yeah. And, that, you know, even on the bench, he was, he was all right. You know, but but he wasn't the best that we've seen him either. So it's uh it's interesting how you know players' careers can fluctuate and, and their situations change because of that. I, like I don't think he's going to end up being a Tony Williams, but I I I can see where you're going with that. It, like there could be moments where you kind of look at him and say, remember when he was killing everyone? You know, like he's 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 on a four year deal too. Which yeah. tends to be a bit for the for as players get older and they're on the big money, you see some guys take the foot off the gas at uh, you know in the middle of their contract when they're not playing for it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? We had that with that was the accusation towards Michael Jennings is he only played well in a contract year for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in saying that, I would have been interested to know if the Panthers knew Kickout was signing when they released Capewell. Um, you know because I can't imagine that if. If if Kickout said okay I'm going I can't imagine that Penrith would have let Capewell go because um, I think he suits your style very well. Yeah, he and, did. Um, yeah. Although yeah, unless I, it was a a case of he wanted to go back up up to Queensland and and that was the the selling point for him. And I, I would guess the Broncos that paid him pretty good money too compared to what Penrith were going to just because yeah. they've got so many back rows and things like that. I also think with the the Panthers they're almost now they're almost moving into that. Melbourne Storm category of like now that their junior base is actually getting the juniors out of it once again because it, it shut down for like eight years under Matthew Elliott. Mm. Um, it, there's always the thing that Penrith knows that just on weight of numbers, the junior base is going to spit out someone that's pretty damn good and of first graders, you know. And uh, that's my guess with the Panthers is that they rely on that. To, they're going to rely on that going forward to a certain extent. Um, so it, it's – and a, a lot of clubs can't rely on that. Like yeah. the Bulldogs can't rely on that. Who, who have the Bulldogs produced in the last like five or six years that's a good junior? Yeah. 
no one. So they've got to play for, play for the talent. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the Eels, I think, are heading towards that as well. Um, they mm-hmm. retooled their entire junior system at the end of 2018. So there was that mm-hmm. that review that looked at the wooden spoon and what happened, and they identified a weakness in the, the junior setup there. Um, so they, they, they completely kind of turned that over, and they're now getting, I think, uh, under-13s in. Um, mm-hmm. That's how early they're starting. And, you know, they're not contracted players as such, but they're invited to um, to to train, like, as an eel, you know, so they get all their gear, um, they play games. I think they actually got to play games against Penrith, um, mm-hmm. and they're split north and south. So there's a north catchment where they train at, at one facility and a southern catchment where they train at another um, to make sure that kids can get there. Uh, they, they generally do it over the summer, so mm-hmm. kids can get there from home and it's not a big hike and all the uh, coaching staff – uh, are drawn from the junior, the junior district, uh, from their local clubs. So you're getting the the coaching. You know those coaches are coached by the NRL coaches, and they're they're then put into the system um, to bring through the young guys. And you're starting to see that bear fruit. Um, mm-hmm. You know Hayes Dunster was probably the first of them to come through, and and he really grew into his position by the end of the year. I think by the end of the year he was averaging 130 meters a game or something. Yeah, he so started really, to be a problem. He started yeah. to be a problem for other clubs. Yeah. And he's starting to grow into his body too. You know, he's, he mm-hmm. only debuted, I think, as a 19-year-old. Um, very few players are, are fully grown at that age, and he's starting to really show what he can do. And he's become quite a good finisher as well. Uh, he's got mm-hmm. fantastic hands. That was a try, I think, against the Titans where he picked it up of his boot laces at full pace. Um, and you, you saw Will Persini come through, who looked like he'd been playing the, in the NRL for the entire season. Mm-hmm. came through at the end of the year and um you know stood up uh bradman best and he really just became an entire this massive handful like he ran over matt burton during mm-hmm. that that finals game um you know he's a really big physical body i like the look of him um if he was a bit mm-hmm. taller and lankier he'd, he'd remind me a bit of tamanatahu just with his his footwork and his skill um and obviously you got, you got jake arthur who who got a few games i think six or seven games during the season he's probably not going to be a long-term half for us uh, we, we recruited a young bloke from the Dragons, I think he's 18 or 19. Um, so Jake, he's quite tall and lanky, so he could end up filling out into that that uh, you know ball-playing back roll role, which would suit him. He's not particularly yeah. quick. Um, but yeah. you take a, a guy who's six foot three and you whack 20 kilos on him, and he's around that 100-kilo mark like a Bryce Cartwright or a Ryan Madison, um, you know, they can be quite a good player for you. And we've got, uh, as I said, you know, four or five guys who are in the emerging, emerging blues uh, last season, um, the player I do like, and I think this may become more of a discussion as as next year rolls on, is Ray Stone. And obviously, mm-hmm. he played hooker at us for hooker for us at a pinch at the end of the season. Um, and I might have said this when we we're previewing the, the Penrith game, but he is uh, a very, I reckon, Brandon Smith like character in the way he plays. You know, mm-hmm. body on the line every time. In, Incredibly good defender, brutal in defense. Um, he's obviously worked on his dummy half skill quite a lot. And a lot of people picked on him for the mistakes he made in that in that final game. But I couldn't begrudge him. You know, he's playing in a position that's foreign to him throughout most of his development. Asked to play there after our three mainline hookers all go down. Um, and, and he did a, you know, a fantastic job for 80% of the time that he was in that position. Mm-hmm. Um, you see... You know, Damian Cook makes those mistakes and Happy Coruscant makes those mistakes and Harry Grant makes those mistakes. Uh, you know, you can't go off with a guy who's, you know, played two games at hooker <laughs> for yeah, making yeah. 
some errors when he's, he's buggered. He's not used to playing 80 minutes in the NRL and he's playing in a finals match. Um, but I really see him as someone that the the club, again, you know, he's a junior. We, we did pinch him off the Tigers, but he played, um, I'm pretty sure he played Harold Matz for us or he definitely played a couple of years of under 20s for us. And, um, you know, he's got that ability to come off the bench. You can play him at hooker, play him at lock. Um, and he's you know, very physical. That's what I love about it is Parramatta have a very physical style of play um, and he suits it. And I really see him as as someone I think they're going to be working on. And, you know, again, Wolford and us at the club, um, he's got a lot of support to, to talk to um, when, it, when it comes to working on his uh, hooker play. Um, and I think, the, the Cumberland throw might have already reported that he's, he's been training at it's, I get it. It's preseason. Everyone's training the house down, but <laughs> that, that raise raise putting in some extras in, in regards to, to working on his dummy half play. Um, and he's the type of player who's going to probably have to rely on that throughout his career. He's not going to be, um, you know, your, your frontline hooker. He's probably never going to be a frontline player, but mm. if he makes himself invaluable coming off the bench, then that can be his, his position. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's almost like a reverse Mark Riddell in, in many sense. You know, 15 years ago, he'd probably be the perfect hooker, right? Mm. Tackle machine, um, you know, pretty rugged through the middle of the ruck, can 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 play in the back row if required. Games changed a bit. You need a bit more nuance around the ruck. You need the ability to pull markers. You need the ability to kick, um, which obviously Reed does, and we've still got him for next year. And um, we've got Mitch Rain as well, who's 200-plus games in the NRL, can be very important particularly towards the, the back end of the year when, um, you know, it's, it's crunch time. And if Reed's injured, well, then you've got a very good replacement there. Um, but, yeah, I, I think the balance next year is, is going to be good. It's going to be interesting to see what they do uh, in the market in regards to the hooking position because, from what I understand, Mitch is only on a one-year contract, Mitch Rain, that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently we're in for Sam Verrill. So uh, that could be quite a good a good get the club has shown they can develop players. Um, even if they've started another club, hell we've done that with Murata. We've done that with ice, done it with Bryce Cartwright. Um, you know, even Makahizi Makatoa, he's had his crack with us. Andrew Davey went off and got a good contract with Manly after he debuted for us. Um, you know, so the club can develop players. Um, so I'm not too worried about that. If we were to get Verrills, I reckon we've got the, the facilities and the ability to um, to develop a player like Verrills into a, a very good frontline hooker. Um, yeah. Yeah, and you might look if, you know, there's talk that the Storm will get rid of Brandon Smith early. Uh, I, I don't know about that. But if they do when Verrills wants to go somewhere else, if you can get him cheaper early on. And I feel like the Roosters would be a club that would say, no, we're not going to pay part of your contract. If you want to leave, you've got to leave. But yeah. uh, if you can get him early on, get him locked in on an all right contract, that could be a pretty good move for the Eels. Yeah, uh, we don't have any hookers, basically, apart from Reed and Mitch next mm, year, from what I understand. Because mm. um, obviously Joey went and got a contract with St. Helens. And, uh, I don't think Nathaniel Roach is, is around next season. I think he's got some injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you've got two hookers. You really need three. And Verrills is obviously trying to get back to, to playing consistent footy. Uh, so he, he might jump at the chance to, to have a crack at a new club, particularly if Brandon Smith comes in. That being said, I'm not sure if, if Melbourne are really going to cut loose Brandon Smith early. They're not a, they're not, they're not a club that really does that, mm. um, particularly given how integral he is to their to their side and the way they play. And we saw that in the finals when, 
when he was taken out early against Penrith. They lost a lot of their middle thrust. Um, they lost a lot of their energy and their ruck speed, and obviously Christian Welch as well going off. But, um, yeah, I can't see them releasing him early over some swear words on a podcast. <laughs> let's let's yeah. be honest. They, they were saying that uh, in the podcast he, he said – he said fuck like 61 times and can't has, three times. And I was has thinking, Dean Ritchie been around team. rugby league players at all? Oh, no. No, he hasn't. That's the answer. <laughs> like, I mean, what did you expect? <laughs> it's, just, it's just ridiculous some of the things that these journos come up with. Um, it, it's interesting right now the way that the premiership is because Penrith is a real grindy style of team. And the thing that the only thing that worries me about Penrith's style of play is that you can get worn down eventually just because of how physical their game style is. Uh, the storm is the storm. You know, we, we all know what they're going to do. Uh, the I, I think Manly is going to fall back next year personally. Um, it, it's rare that you have a player like Turbo put two of those years together. Yeah, um, yeah. And, 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 like, and th- they had a lot of players that were okay players that played out of their skin as well yeah. this year. They, they got look, a bit they, of the, the 09 eels about them, really. They, yeah. they're relying on one player's brilliance. Uh, yeah, they've yeah. got probably some some better frontline players. You know, Daly Cherry Evans, Trebojevic, uh, Jake, and uh, Marty Tapao, um, obviously. But... Yeah, I think you'll see them come back to the pack a little bit. Plus, teams will work out if you kick the turbo um, on the full or into a corner. There was a stat, I think, from Jack Snape, something like he 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 basically contributed three line breaks or line breaks assists across the entire season mm. if you kick to him and force him to return the ball. And I think you saw that in the finals, like yeah. and and towards the end of the year, teams had worked that out. Yeah. Um, and, and you, you know, that's the thing about the NRL is that to do what you do well back to back and it actually work is really difficult because you've got, you know, 15 other coaches that are trying to work it out and, and mm. working out ways to shut you down. Um, and yeah, it's like, I mean, the Roosters are a club that the thing that worries me about the Roosters and let's pretend they even get Brandon Smith is that uh, there is like what ten players or so that are leaving that team, and once again you you basically you, you know you're tossing up an entire lineup once again that's coming into the season, and mm. I think that that will have an effect on them. They're obviously a pretty well-run club, so that they'll get through that better than most. But it, it's got to have an effect on them, and that you know that means when you're looking at it, the Eels. If they just do what they did this year, they'll be in an all right position. They should be a top yeah. four team. They really should. So the, the the thing I'm I'm mostly worried about actually is, is our our wingers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously Ferguson left because we weren't going to pay him half a million dollars a year yeah. for another two years, which which is fine. You know, yeah, half a million dollars a year. Fergo was good at the end of the year, but his body's starting to go. He was carrying every, you know, every injury. Um, from, from the looks of it. Um, but, you know, Maker Sivo, he's 30 and he's dealing with an ACL. Um, yeah. You know, obviously, Hayes Dunster has come through, but that, that other position is really up in the air. There's talk of Bailey Simmonson, um, which he could be all right for us because um, we particularly like the, the big-bodied backs. You know, that's that's the way we like to play and very similar to Penrith in that regard. You know, like the, the big carries out of the back 
um, early in the sets, first three, four carries from your backs. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, Will Penasini and Wonga Blake took a, a, a monster of work um, at the end of the season during the finals. Just, I think both of them were well over 100 metres for all those games, just doing the work of, of an extra winger, an extra forward. Um, but, yeah, I, this, you know, probably Sean Russell might have first crack if we don't recruit someone. Um, you know, he's not a bad not a bad option, but he's originally a fullback who's being converted into a winger. Um, or there's, uh, uh, there's Samuel Loizu, who they're not sure where to play him, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. He's played a bit of fullback, played in the halves, played in the back line. Um, and then there's also uh, Solomoni Noduki, I think, who's a, a young Fijian guy they've got. Um, he played the trial match against the Dragons at the start of the year, um, but he'll be coming through a bit more. I'm, I'm not sure how much reserve grade he played this season or if he was kind of seen more as a, as a flag player yeah. at under-21s level. But, See, that's um, what you do with wingers. You fly to Fiji, you get off the plane, you point to the nearest Fijian male and you say, you're going to play on the wing in the NRL <laughs> and they can all play as superstars yeah. in the NRL. It is amazing. Yeah, you just got to get a local rugby match and just pick up one of them. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, so so we've got some options. Again, you know, most of those options are, are juniors unless we buy someone. I, I'd still like to buy someone who's got NRL experience mm. just for the fact of you're going to have a young back line. Like you're going to have Penasini, you're going to have Dunstan, I think, combined the pair of 12 or 13 NRL games. Uh, you obviously got Tom Upacek, uh, who's ob- he's an out-and-out centre. And you've got Wonga Blake, uh, who, you know, there's been talk of him playing on the wing because um, he tends to not pass the ball anyway. Mm-hmm. So if you stick him on the wing, what's the difference? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's tall, he's fast, he's got, he's, he's great in the air. So you can stick him on the wing and stick up a check next to him and just feed him the ball. You've got, you've got your wing position sorted. It's whether or not he wants to play there. Um, but again, kind of what I said is, there's a bit of that uh, that junior system coming through, and they're they're looking probably looking at blooding some young guys again next year, which is which is great. Um, I always like seeing juniors come through. This talk of our oh, teams don't develop develop talent anymore. Um, I think Parramatta did it for a while. They similar to Penrith, right? They they regressed, and after Brian Smith left, and the the, the junior system was left to crumble. Um, but they've done a lot of work to bring through juniors now, and I think we're going to start seeing it. I also think, and unfortunately I'm agreeing with Phil Gould here, you sometimes you see a bit more of a connection between the players and, and the supporters when that player has come through as a teenager and, and knows your club uh, inside and out. Yeah. Um, they they understand what the, the, the club is about. I think we've started to see a bit of that with Will Penasini. Um, you know, really talking about what it's been like coming through and, and playing in the NRL for Parramatta. Um, you know, I'm a big I'm a big fan of of local grown players because uh, as someone you know who watches a lot of our our junior competitions and always keeps an eye on them, um, it's always great seeing a guy come through you know over a, a three or four year period and watching him go from you know a 16 17 year old to, to playing in the NRL for Parramatta. Um, and you know, we, we're getting that again. Um, but, you know, I also pull that from the other sports I, I watch. You know, I'm a Liverpool supporter. So you watch Trent Alexander-Arnold running around um, at Anfield now in his 20s, and he was in the junior system as like a an eight or nine-year-old. <laughs> it's, yeah. It, it's that's, what makes it, that's what makes it so insane that you've had people in the media pushing for a draft 
And it's like, you people are stupid, especially in a year where we saw the Panthers win with so many juniors in their team. And you saw like cars lined up going past players' houses in Penrith. And it's like, how can you celebrate all of that stuff? And then a week later you're saying, well, we need to get rid of all of that and have a draft. It's madness. If, If you had a draft, a couple of things. First of all, you'd have to blow up the entire junior system because you're not going to get Penrith or Parramatta going, yeah, we'll develop a bunch of players. It's going to cost us a bunch of money and then someone else can have them. They're not going to do that. No. Second of all, a draft doesn't solve incompetency. Yes, right? exactly. You can look to the NFL and you go, you know, the New York Jets draft Sam Darnold as, as their quarterback two seasons ago. I think it was three seasons ago. They couldn't coach him to save their life, and then they cut him. Mm-hmm. It's like that's not that, that, that's everything wrong with a draft, right? He went to uh, a, a poorly performing team and was expected to to fix all their problems overnight, and then when he didn't, they traded him. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that is what would happen in the NRL. Like, you take Nathan Cleary for for argument's sake and go back to 2017 or 2016 when he would have been nominated for the draft, right? And instead of playing. Penrith and coming through at the system there and playing alongside Peter Wallace and learning his craft there, he would have been drafted by bloody Newcastle, mm-hmm. right? Who were a basket case at the time. Yeah. How does that help him? Exactly. Like, how does that help him become a better player if he ends up at a club that is struggling and doesn't have the um, facilities and doesn't have the infrastructure around those types of players to get the best out of him? Like we've seen it with Kalen Ponger at Newcastle okay, they went and bought Mitchell Pierce to to help take some of the load off. But he was bought, and they're like, well, he's not winning us all the games. It's like, well, well yeah, because you're, you, the players around him aren't at the level that need to be to get the best out of Caelan Ponga. And then there's like, well, do we play him at fullback? Do we play him at halves? Because he's got to get his hands on the ball more. It's kind of like, well, if you've got some half-decent halves, and they've obviously released Mitchell Pierce now, and they're, they're banking on what Clifford and... Um, probably possibly Kurt Mann or something. But, you know, they're probably not the players that Caelan Ponga needs to show everything he can do. He'll win them games, and he's done that before. But he's very much – you're very much looking at like a, a a Jared Hayne sort of situation where brilliant player in an average team mm-hmm. um, who can win games off his own back, but he's not going to do it every week. And he's going to cop it for that because, oh, he's the million-dollar player. Um, that's where I see a draft heading, and I, I don't think that's the best way to look after your junior players. And like you said as well, there's something nice about seeing guys that were born and grew up in the area playing for their local clubs. Yeah. Um, and I think you're going to you're also going to see that in the NRLW. Um, I know Parramatta's fullback uh, Batil Vede Welsh. Uh, she's originally from New Zealand, but she moved to Parramatta ten years ago. She she grew, basically grew up in the local area. Mm-hmm. Um, had to go to the Roosters and then St George to play in the NRLW. And then as soon as Parramatta approached it, she signed on the dotted line going, I want to come home. I want to play um, where I grew up. I want to play near my friends and near my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's where the, the big benefit is of having a junior system. Plus, yeah, and like for, for a young player to 
still have this support system around them as well. Exactly. It's yeah. huge. And you, you look at all of the issues that happen with young sportsmen and women these days where when you take them away from their support system, how it can all fall apart very, very quickly and very, very badly. Um, I can't believe that anybody, anybody at all, would look at what a draft brings to competitions and say, oh, yeah, we want some of that in our competition. And really what they really want is the uh, the TV show, the draft exactly. TV show. That's, That's all I want. Yeah. They want some extra TV during the off-season um, and they want, you know, a big event. And it's it's not in rugby league's DNA. And whilst I I'm always careful to go, well, that's not a rugby league thing because quite often that's bullshit. Um, it's not really a rugby league thing to have a draft when you consider that the majority of our know, pretty sure most rugby league competitions are all based around you know junior development and bringing through the the next line of of kids to represent your club uh, because they're entirely based on the junior system. That's where they come from. They come from um, you know, some guys growing up in the area and wanting to play for you. Because you think back to the 80s and you had import rules. You mm. couldn't import more, you know, a certain number of, of players that were from outside your district. Um, yeah. Because it was all about the local the local teams. I'm not saying we go back to that at all. But um, I think it's also a way, the junior system is also a way for clubs like Parramatta was a few years ago. And um, I could see it occurring at the Tigers if they get their house in order. It's a way to catch up to the, the better teams, right? Mm-hmm. If you and it invest you, directly, it helps your salary cap. Exactly. Like if you've got three or four young players on their very first professional contracts, you might be saving like five hundred thousand yeah. bucks a year. Exactly. That that's that's where I was heading with that. You know, if you do it properly, you can be essentially underpaying for some very good players, mm. uh, and and because you've developed them it's going to cost another club a lot more to poach them off you. And okay, that might happen. We've seen, we've just seen that happen, but you can also get some very good years out of them before, you know, they're commanding that six, seven, 800,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's money for nothing. Right. Yeah. You know, I, as an Eels fan go, Hey, what about a, a transfer fee? You know, the Bulldogs can give us an extra hundred grand for Reed. Um, mm. And that hundred grand could go towards, you know, a development, a couple of development contracts for some young guys. But that's a debate for another time. Yeah. Uh, But I also think. Sorry, go on. I also think that with this entire discussion around recruitment and retention, you know, the sky isn't falling at Parramatta. Every team loses players. You know, we've Mm -hmm. been through Melbourne and and Penrith. They've lost five or six players each. South, they cut their halfback. (laughs) They cut their club captain, their Redfern junior, right? The guy that basically led them. To the finals. Everyone said, oh, Latrell's gone. They're not going to make finals. And whilst a lot was made of Cody Walker, it was Adam Reynolds' kicking game on one leg, basically, that got them to the finals. And Cody took over, and we saw the big gap between Cody and, and Adam uh, in mm-hmm. terms of their kicking games. And, you know, there's barely been a peep since then. You know, Reynolds signed with the, with the, with the Broncos. He's, he's up at Red Hill now. Um, and all the focus is on Paramount losing Reed Marnie in 12 months' time. Um, whilst Souths are, are banking their future on on a rookie halfback, he played fullback for them this season. Um, so I and don't the thing th- is too, it's it's a player, and, and we've seen it with you know Parramatta, Penrith, Melbourne in particular. It's players that are going from top clubs to lower table clubs, and they're being forced out generally by the salary cap, whether teams chose to 
offer less money or they tried to undercut them as much as they could because they're trying to keep, you know, as much salary cap yeah. space as possible. And it's like the system's working. Why is everyone whinging? Yeah. The the, the thing with, oh, they, they, they low-balled Reed or they low-balled Papalium, like you always hear players and managers say, well, it's a business. Mm-hmm. Well, it works two ways, right? The club's mm-hmm. got to try and get as much bang for buck as possible. Mm-hmm. It's no use tabling a $600,000 deal straight up because the player will just reject it, right? They'll go, oh, but they've offered me six fifty, right? And then you end up in a high-stakes bidding war, um, probably overpaying, right? So it goes both ways. The player can ask for 800000 and the club can go, we think you're worth 600000 right? You, you then, you know, you, you, you haggle in between there to find your, um, to find the price. But, yeah, it, players move all the time, and it's not the end of the world if one player leaves the club because of the salary cap, because they've asked for more money than the club can afford. You know, because everyone sees it in a one- or two-year window, and most clubs operate a lot longer, a lot further down the road than that. They're yeah. not planning one or two years ahead. They're planning three, four, five years ahead because they need to get the salary cap in order for them. Right? If you don't do that, you end up in a hole. Exactly. And look, it's it's the West Tigers with Papali is the great um, example of it. They need to pay for talent and they need mm-hmm. to pay a lot of money for talent. Yep. And, they, you know, if they don't do it, they just end up being what the West Tigers have been for the last 10 years. Yep. Just nowhere. That and, happened to us in 2013. In yeah. 2014, right, with with um with Anthony Watmo paying through the nose for him, and then it turned out we'd use a bunch of of illegal TPAs to get him. Mm-hmm. Right, that's what you end up doing, and you either end up at the bottom of the ladder, or you end up blowing up your squad because your salary cap's screwed. You know, mm-hmm. in two or three years' time, because you physically can't afford the guys. That's what worries me about the Bulldogs, and mm. and you know they've made a lot of high profile recruitments, and. You know, you just got to look at the quality of the players. A lot of these players, you can't argue about the quality of them. And I remember when Phil Gould first got to Penrith, he started bringing in players, Mm. but then he started getting players to leave as well. And Penrith started, you know, Reagan Campbell-Gillard's a great example. I think Penrith have just stopped paying him. They might even have been paying him this year. Um, You know, and it's a really, really, really bad way to get your system going. Now, I think the thing with Penrith is that they took more control away from Gould and that steadied the ship. And mm. then that obviously they got rid of Gould, um, having him come in and then all of a sudden he's spending all this money on players. That worries me about the Bulldogs situation. Yeah. yeah when I, <laughs> my dad said the same thing. He said, you looked at what he did at, at Penrith. He came in, signed a bunch of players for a lot of money. And then he started cutting players and you look at Michael Jennings, he cut him. You look at Luke Lewis, got rid of him. And Luke Lewis went on to have a fantastic end of his career. He won a comp. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. um he was like first pick for New South Wales. Um, is really really good player at the end of his career. And and the Panthers had cut him. Um, and they they forked out you know big money on Regan Campbell Gillard. And after a year or two of that, went oh that was a bad idea. Here we'll pay two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year for you to play against us. Um, mm-hmm. Which you know it's kind of worked out for them, but it also cruelled their 2019 season when they had the um, the Tyrone May scandal, and a lot mm-hmm. of them said, "Oh, they put it down to that." And I think it was also just a, a an unhappy time at the club with the uh, the upheaval with with Phil Gould around the club, um, obviously in some kind of war with the the board. Um, you know which, what I think know, will be the you know what I think will be the next thing that will happen, and it won't happen really quickly, but. Eventually, Gould is gonna get rid of Barrett because that's just what he yeah. does. 
I'm not sure because I've heard him talk so highly of Barrett for the past couple of years. Yeah, but Barrett will get tired like Ivan yeah. Cleary oh, did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet you Ivan's real tired after that premiership is one. Oh, very, very tired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that was that was hilarious saying Ivan's tired and Ivan goes off and starts coaching again. Like, I don't think he's that tired. I, you know, um, yeah. So, the, I mean, the other question I've got about the Bulldogs and I'm not here to, to shit on the Bulldogs really. No, no. Um, I mean, I don't like them cause they're, they're a rival of ours <laughs> and they're a big yeah. rival of ours. Yeah. But in saying that, um, you know, they've got a big year next year, particularly with Trent Barrett, right? He's, if they don't really turn it around and I'm, I'm talking like they're going to be up, above 12th spot really to consider it a turnaround really. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be a lot of pressure on him to retain his job because he's going to have some extra players. He's going to have Josh Adokar and Burton and Naden. Um, and obviously Luke Thompson's going to have another, another season, another preseason under his belt, the NRL. Um, they're going to have to start winning more often and not losing ab- abjectly like they did last season. And would they go three weeks or something without scoring a point? Mm-hmm. Coaches and, very rarely su- survive that. And look, Trent Barrett, for his entire NRL coaching career, which he was always talked about as being the next great coach, he's never proven that he can really coach. And he's never had a winning season, and he had a decent side at Manly. Yeah, yeah. And, and so it's really like he's got talent now, and there's going to be fewer and fewer excuses. And look, I I, I don't rate him as a coach at all, I, and I'm just going by his record. It's It's nothing mm-hmm. special. But um, I think eventually you get somebody in like a Phil Gould who you say, we want you to come in and make changes. Eventually the change ends up being the coach. And especially when you get a former coach in that you're asking to make those changes because former coaches look at everything and they say, you know what, if I was coaching this side, I think the problem's the coach because I would do things differently. And it's just, it's just what happens. It's human nature. It's going to be an interesting dynamic too, because I'm pretty sure Barrett played under Gould at origin level. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, indeed. And, and he, he was under Gould at, uh, at Penrith when um, uh, Barrett first retired and became a, uh, a lower grade coach and started his coaching career. So, so, so Gould that's got where he became the architect, you know, um, which is obviously why Gould's talking, talked him up so much because it's a reflection on him, right? If Barrett mm-hmm. doesn't succeed here, Gould won't be taking any credit for Barrett becoming a coach like he is at the moment. Mm-hmm. It's a similar thing with Penrith, right? When the club was struggling, it wasn't Gould's problem. The moment they win a premiership, it's because Gus implemented the junior system, regardless of the fact he'd left three years earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and Ivan Cleary was the same coach that he'd sacked. Uh, yeah. I think the other thing, and bringing it back to, to, to Parramatta as well, I think the, the blow up you've seen, particularly on Twitter, but also elsewhere, is the, the the lack of a premiership in the past forty years? Mm-hmm. I don't think all of this is as intense if the if the club had a one in 09 or two thousand five or in two thousand one, because there would have been a recent a, a recentish win for them to look back on. Um, for a lot of supporters, such as myself, never seen a premiership. Uh, I've yeah. seen us play two grand finals. Um, that's that's it. So the idea that we'd be losing a player who could always win that, that drought breaking comp is very, very hard to take. Um, and I think it, it also rankles fans a bit when you hear clubs and I'm not, I'm not saying the clubs are wrong, but I, I think there's still that little bit of a, a misunderstanding from um, some management. And this occurs in all clubs too, when they talk about, Oh, you know, we're going through our process or we're doing this or, 
Um, you know, we feel the losses as hard as the fans. It's, it kind of feels like you know, stop pissing in my pocket and telling me it's raining. Um, mm-hmm. Because do you really understand what it's like to support this club? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I've grown, I grew up with this club. It's the only club I've ever supported. It's the club my grandfather supported, the club my dad supports, it's the club my son supports. Um, you know, I was on the hill before they, they had seating at Parramatta Stadium. My grandfather went to Cumberland Oval when the, there was the track that ran around it, the old dirt track. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've got, you know, my, my dad went to the 76 grand final, our first ever grand final. Um, we've been waiting for a premiership for 40 years and we've seen hundreds of players come and go in that time. So for me, it's nothing new. But in saying that, there is beginning to get a real impatience around the club going, when is it going to happen? Um it's not quite desperation, but it's very much, very much like that. That well, when's it going to happen? The only person I'd say in the club who would understand that is probably Brad Arthur, because mm. his family history goes back to the start of the club. They've been supporting that club since 1947, um, and he was a junior player for us um, before he went to the Bush and and was a captain coach out there. I'd say Brad understands it. I don't think that the management fully understands it because again. You know, they come in, they do their job, and they're doing it quite well. I've got nothing against the board or the executive. I think the club's profitable. Um, it's running pretty well in terms of sponsorship and marketing um, and all the off-field facets. Hell, when's the last time you heard about a boardroom blow-up at Parramatta? It's been, it's a, been a while now. It's a, it's a, a few it's years like, for the Eels is a and, long time too. <laughs> and there's Leeds Club elections next year, right? Mm. And there's been a little bit of agitation from some people who wanted to get on the board and didn't, but – nothing like they used to be. So in that respect, they're doing their job. Um, but I also think that as a fan, there is that impatience about, well, when's the comp coming? You know, when's the, when's the drought break? And I can kind of see it as um, it'd be very similar to when, when Jack Gibson um, coached the side in, in 81. Um, you're going to see, it, it, we're not going to burn the stadium down. We like the stadium. We don't need a new one. <laughs> um, but it's, it's probably going to be bigger than what Penrith had this year. You know, um, it's it's one of the more storied now, one of the more storied um, premiership droughts. It's getting mm-hmm. very close to what um, Souths went through. Hopefully we don't anywhere end up anywhere near what the Melbourne Demons ended up with, with their 70-year drought or whatever it was. <laughs> um, very much, I would very much like to see a, a premiership before my son's grown up and moved out. <laughs> um, but, you know, that, that is what fans want. Um, and and I've spoken to people at the club and I completely understand with where they're coming from going, you know, we're managing our cap into the future. We're trying to ensure that, you know, if we un if we unveil that that next big boom kid, right, who can rip up a competition on his own, that we've got him, you know, and we don't let him walk because that becomes yeah. the next story that Pamela let this genius player walk. Mm-hmm. Um, I can understand that. But in saying that, fans don't care, right? Fans don't care what you've got planned three years down the track. They care about wins, yes. and they want those wins yesterday. And that goes for pretty much every club apart from Penrith right now because you won the comp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, and look, there comes a point where even we, even if you're close to it all, even if you you know if you think the bounce of the ball, a couple of injuries go our way, a couple of players mm-hmm. of ours don't get injured, man, it could have been us. If you're that exactly. close, eventually sometime you're going to get fans going, stop talking about it and just do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
like whenever they go, oh, you know, we're having a crack at the premiership, and it's like, well, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> what else are you doing? <laughs> yeah. I felt this very much with with Liverpool um, coming into the 2019-20 season. We'd we'd missed the league by a point the previous season. We'd won three big trophies, but we didn't have the the 30 year drought trophy that we we're all chasing. Um, and then of course COVID hit before we technically won the comp. Um, and, you know, we're sitting there for whatever it was, six or seven weeks without playing a game and going, we need whatever it was like eight points to seal the competition with a 25 point gap on our nearest rival. And I just remember it was relief <laughs> when, mm. when, when, when Chelsea beat Man City and we were mathematically the champions, we couldn't be beaten. It wasn't elation. It was just relief. Like this is done. Um, and up until that point is like, when's it going to happen? I think there was a little bit more, not as much restlessness. Um, once we'd won that, that champions league, like the first trophy got over the line and it was a big one. Um, the restlessness dropped off and you don't have that in rugby league. Uh, anymore. I spoke to Steve Edge last year and he said the big thing for him when he came to Parramatta in 1980 from St. George, he said, we won the tooth cup that year uh, under John Peard, who was coach. And he said, that was the start of our, our four consecutive grand finals and the three consecutive premierships. It showed us we could win and we had some silverware in the cabinet. And he said for, for a lot of those younger guys, the guys like Sterling and Kenny and growth and Ella, um, who I don't think had won anything on, at Parramatta at that stage, he said that was big for them to know they could they could play a competition and yeah. win it. Um, and, and that's like uh, part of me loves that about the NRL that it's all or nothing. Hmm. And <clears throat> that's I think that's something that made this year's premiership pretty special. And I, obviously, I think that as a Panthers fan, in that the Storm beat them last year and they were a young team, and you had to think about, look, they they did so much last year. Can they do that again and then go better? And they actually managed to. They actually managed to prove they could win it. And there's a scenario where they lose this year's grand final and they've got a, a monkey around their neck or a monkey on their back that's, like, gigantic, if yeah. they didn't, if they hadn't won this year, that that could have been crippling. And luckily, they won it. And that knowing that you can get the job done is really important to a player. And you know, some, in some ways, Origin helps with that. We get that out of Origin and international football when we're able to play international football. Mm -hmm. But because the NRL is all or nothing, it's uh, you know, there's only a few teams that can go into a season and say, oh, yeah, we know we can do the job. Melbourne's one of them. Yeah, I dare say the Roosters just as an organisation are one of them. And Penrith is really the only other one that you could probably go into next season and say, well, we know these teams definitely can get the job done. And I feel as though everyone else, even South Sydney, it's been a while since they won the premiership. Everyone else is like, oh, I don't know if we can actually do it with what we've got. I think the loss of, of Adam Reynolds is going to be the big one there. They've lost yeah. the guy who won the combat at, uh, at Souths and he knows, you know, what to do there. And plus Wayne Bennett too, you know, I think that that was the big thing for, for Penrith to do in the grand final was, was to beat a Wayne Bennett coach side who, mm. you know, Wayne's been there and done that. Um, he wasn't going to be intimidated and, and, you know, both sides slugged it out 
for a, for a huge chunk of that game right until the end. Um, they were into each other. And it was because I think, you know, well, Ivan Cleary had, had been to two grand finals and lost both of them, um, you know, once as the player, once as a coach before that. Um, and and obviously the majority of that Penrith side had lost the year before. And you could see that kind of learning um, on the job, essentially, against Melbourne the year before, yeah. learning yeah. this is what it takes to win a competition. I, I think I think had Parramatta got bundled out by Penrith convincingly, mm there'd be a lot more concern about next season. Mm-hmm. But I think the fact that kind of like you said, you know, if, you know, certain couple of calls go our way or, um, you know, we actually have a hooker. No, I think that was the big one. <laughs> like, yeah. You actually have a hooker and you don't have a back row filling in there. The game is different. You know, mm-hmm. They say, you know, you say it all the time, but rugby league is, is a game of, of centimeters and, and the little, the little bits at the end of that season, that, that, that bounce one way, um, a certain call one way can, can change a, a match or, or help a team get over the line. Um, and the other thing that I think is Parramatta know they belong in the finals now and they've been there three years in a row. And the biggest thing about finals is, is just being there. Right? You yeah. get, you get used to playing in that type of cauldron. You get used to playing where everything's on the line uh, and they've had to do it from the ground up. You know, they had to start from basically scratch because they hadn't been in the finals for, I think it was eight or nine years when, when Brad took over. Um, by the time they made the finals in 2017. And I think you've seen Mitchell Moses grow into a pretty pretty damn good halfback. And you can kind of see after he came back from that back injury against Newcastle, he took that game on. He, he scored that try just before halftime where he sliced them open from about 40 metres out and just beat beat Ponga to the, to the line. He just decided he was he was winning that game. And it was his kicking game that ended up killing Newcastle. Um and again, he got into a big kicking duel with with Nathan Cleary. And um, okay, Mitch lost his his game of Origin, but he got to experience Origin at Suncorp Stadium um, mm-hmm. and learn what it's like to be an Origin player. And so, you know, you've got Junior Paulo who's also played Origin. You've got Regan Campbell Gillard's played Origin. Click Gutherson's played Origin. Reed Marnie's been consistently, I think, in the Maroon squad for the past two seasons. So you're getting guys that are used to playing at that higher level. Um, yeah, and, and that belief that yeah. they belong there too, like exactly. that—that's huge for that was huge for Penrith this year. And that last year going against the Storm, they're like, "Oh, it's the Melbourne Storm." This year they were like, "We we belong to here," mm-hmm. you know. And, and I think that that was as much a part of them winning everything as any other factor. Yeah, a hundred percent. And you saw a similar thing with with the Eels when they beat Melbourne twice during the regular season. Mm-hmm. They've now beaten them three times out of the last four. That's insane. No one has yeah. a 75% win rate against Melbourne, mm-hmm. um, particularly in the past couple of years where they've been basically unstoppable during the regular season. Um, and you look back two years, you look to the end of 2019 when Melbourne beat them, I think it was 32-0 in that finals game. And you fast forward two years and Parramatta is grinding Melbourne out of matches. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they learn They learn over the past couple of years, you know, to be the best, you've got to be be prepared to win it at death. Um, you're not going to win through one or two miracle plays, um, and you're not going to win by just some some brilliance. If you truly want to win at the end of the season, it's it's going to take um, everything you've got, and it's going to take everyone in the squad too. Yeah, that's the big thing I think you're seeing now, particularly in the past three or four years. Teams relying more on their squad. There was that whole thing where if you have more than 30 players, you're done. Well, I'm not sure on the stats of it recently but there's a lot more players getting rested there's a lot more players um getting asked to play when they normally wouldn't have played 
Um, you know, obviously we we rolled out into the last cup side at the end of the season, but even uh, even Penrith, you guys had all those guys in in Origin, mm-hmm. and you had to play uh, against the Tigers. I think with seven or eight guys missing. Mm. Okay, you got done, but you got guys now who have played NRL who are, who previously wouldn't have. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it you know, and I also think that with teams looking to um, manage the amount of kilometers basically that especially forwards are putting into their legs i think that that's a a big key too and i think that that's why it's important to have uh, almost a squad of forwards um which is what we saw out of penrith this year and that worked really well for them um look it's been a really good podcast thank you for coming on i was so excited when you messaged me and said hey (laughs) let's do a let's do a podcast about the yield situation because uh I, I was so ready to talk about what was going on at the Eels. Yeah. Um, tell us where we can find you, what you're up to, and a- anything you want to promote. The floor is yours. Sweet. Uh, so, so just quickly, let us let you know. So in terms of how big this has been for, for One Ideal, mm-hmm. uh, in the past month, we've had 30,000 people onto the site. And in the past mm-hmm. week, we've had – let's bring it up here for you. We've had mm-hmm. um, 13,000 people on the site in the past week. Now. Where? We normally get, you know, 40,000 people visiting the site during the season. Yeah. We've had days in the past week where we've had 5,000 people <laughs> jumping online, which is like Parramatta playing finals game day level of traffic. <laughs> um, so it's been insane, the yeah. amount of, amount of um, people visiting the site and, and just the crazy. overall traffic on there. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so so I'm over at, at oneideal, um, oneideal.com. Uh, you can – that's the Uriel's fan site. So if you're an Eels fan, you want to – have, a, have your thoughts on Parramatta. Anyone can post a comment or post a blog on there. You can just sign up. Sign up's free. I approve you. Um, so if you go, hey, I can't comment immediately, that's that's why we're trying to stop some some bots and some spam j- jumping through there. So you can one ideal.com. Um, I'm also over at uh, Rugby League Monthly, which is um, uh, your online digital magazine, which gets published on the first of each month. Uh, I've got some really interesting stuff coming up tomorrow so we're recording on the 30th so the first of december i've got an interesting chat with uh, matt strama who was the titans hooker for a bit mm-hmm. um and i also took a, a deep dive into um a former eastern suburbs player uh who joined a sydney razor gang uh, in the 1920s mm-hmm. so uh, yeah he ended up getting uh, gangland murdered <laughs> which was uh, oh, really interesting um <laughs> so you can uh, jump on there rugby league monthly.com uh, and your first month's free if you wanted to go monthly. If you want to go yearly, you get a month off. Um, there'll probably be some Christmas specials coming up in the next couple of weeks, so um, you can jump over there, uh, sign up. It's regularlymonthly.com uh, forward slash subscriptions and uh, get your fix of regular content. That's awesome. And, yeah, I would say to everyone, do it because, you know, you you create some fantastic content, and uh, we've got to support independent um, content creators in rugby league because they're far better than what we get out of mainstream media. And also, <clears throat> oneideal.com, like that's the place to go. If you're a Neils fan, go and join everybody that's there right now. There's more people turning up there than turn up to West Tigers games. So um, <laughs> go and have a have a chat about your team. Talk about the wins. That's something West Tigers fans can't do either. And, uh, yeah, it'll be awesome. And you do it, and you've got that awesome stadium to go to, which is something the West Tigers don't have either. So yeah, They tried to. They tried well, to. That, not their jungle. Hashtag our jungle. How <laughs> funny was that? That was adorable. Um, look, thank you for coming on. We'll have you on soon again. I'm looking forward to 
um, the preseason when we all start lining our teams up and we know who's finally everywhere and, you know, January is over. So obviously the West Tigers recruitment is over by then. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how this following season comes. Let's just hope we can all go to games, hey? Yeah, that'd be great. Um, obviously missed half a season this year and half a season last year. So Yeah, yeah. Hey, did you see the um, All-Star game is at Parramatta Stadium? Yes, that's all that today. Uh, yeah, how good's that? I'm thinking I might end up having to go to that one if we can actually attend yeah. it. Well, they said Eels members are apparently getting pre-sale tomorrow. So oh, really? I'll have to, yeah, I think it's 9 a.m. or something, Eels, Eels members get um, get first crack at tickets, I think probably because our home ground um, and obviously we didn't get to watch much footy there, but hopefully they get a sellout because it'd be fantastic to go and see those see those games. Um, yep. I'm actually really interested in going now <laughs> because <laughs> I get a bit jealous watching, watching the, watching them play it up in Queensland or uh, wherever they've played it recently. It just looks like a fantastic occasion um, yeah. to watch footy. Uh, but also, you know, it's been quite a while since I've got to watch some, some live footy. So coming on to something like that would be really interesting to kick off the season. Oh, look, I, I'd like just going to anything at Parramatta stadium. I, I love it. I just hope that with the Panthers' new stadium, they basically just go copy-paste. That would just do me. I'd be happy with that. Paint the bloody thing black. That's all I need to do. <laughs> well, you can get your, your nice LEDs around the side like we've got, and it just, you know, you can set it to, like, black with your um that, that multicolour strip around the, around the stadium that you guys yeah. run through the middle of your jersey. How weird is it that those colours, like, if somebody said, make a jersey with these colours, you're going to have these colours in stripes, and you would think, well, that's going to look like a dog's breakfast. But some weird way it works. It's really weird. Yeah. So, yeah, you, so strange. And and then you would look at St. George, you look at their awake, and you go, how can you screw up red and white? <laughs> that's so true. How can, how can St. George have red and white jerseys that look so far worse than green and red at South Sydney? Yeah, that's, I know. It's or the crazy. Warriors who have got, like, blue and then red, green, and uh, white. Yeah. Oh, it's 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 so weird when teams – you know what? I, every single Broncos jersey I've seen of theirs from the last 20 years just reminds me of Caramello Koalas. Like, I don't know <laughs> what it is. Apart the teal one, one, right? Oh, apart from the teal one. Any – not many teams can do teal. I understand the Titans do teal pretty well. Like their jerseys aren't too bad, but every other club that's tried teal should just stop. Yeah. Yeah. Stick to anyway, traditional colors. thank you for coming on. Um, thank you for everyone for listening. We continue right through the off season. There's no off season here at Fergo and the Freak. That's why we win awards, even if they are for the logo. So uh, thank you for coming on, Elliot. And uh, thank you to everyone for listening. Bye-bye.